You are listening to Lone Star Community Radio on 104.5 KCZW LP Conroe and 106.1 KZCC LP Conroe. And worldwide on IRLoneStar.com. I want to thank our sponsor, Planet Ford. Planet Ford has always been a proud supporter of law enforcement in the community, providing customer service and fleet management, sales and service. If you're looking for that personal quality service, contact Planet Ford in spring or online at PlanetFord.com. We talk about current and future issues facing law enforcement, forensic, and crime scene investigations. Today, joining me is Fatty Riss, a cold case detective from Montgomery County Sheriff's Office. Fatty, thank you for coming in today. Thanks for having me. So, you know, cold case is um, very popular. Uh, it's on so many TV shows, and uh, I guess it just sounds better than old cases, right? So, uh, but it has. It's become very popular, and I think uh, one of the reasons it's become so popular is because there's been such a change in technology over the years in law enforcement that allows us to bring up old cases. And even though the techniques that we were using many years ago, uh, collecting evidence may have not been beneficial back then, the advances in DNA and, and just other technologies that we're able to use, and DNA being the biggest one, uh, that we can actually find uh, new suspects, identify old victims, and uh, just really brings to light. And, you know, to sort of brag about uh, uh, you and the department for, for a second, you know, I've traveled to uh, some homicide conferences, cold case conferences in the past, and the one thing that I found is so many different agencies uh, make their detectives, or I say uh, in their cold case division, are their homicide detectives. There will be a cold case that they're working along with any active cases, the regular cases that are coming in. And I think to, to really hit that home, there was one detective who was uh, presenting a case, and it took him seven years to work one case because he had to do it in between the active cases that were coming in for homicides that he was on call regular week. Montgomery County uh, developed their cold case squad, and that is exactly what it is. It uh, is dedicated to, the, to these cases, to solve them, and to work on these cases and have dedicated units to, to do that without being distracted, for a better term, of, of the current cases. There's another team that works those. It also allows for the ability for y'all to receive specific training uh, in dealing with those uh, type of crimes and the new technology and stuff. So I know that uh, this is... Uh, somewhat recent in the past couple of uh, years that uh, you've taken this on as some uh, other detectives have moved out of this. So what are some of the, what are some of the challenges, I guess, um, and you worked all the active homicides. So what are some bigger challenges in, in working on cold case versus uh, a fresh case? So like you said, DNA is the biggest thing now uh, with the new technology. And there's, with these old cases, you, you may have evidence, and then you may not. Um, and the evidence that you may have was not stored properly. And so the DNA, when tested, is not there. Right, so you're back, over time. Correct. And so you're, you're back to square one with that. That's, that's one of the biggest challenges. You know, and, and we're going to talk about a case today. Uh, we'll get to a little bit, but it's, it's a more recent case that you had brought in. But... Uh, I wanted to talk about certainly y'all's website and uh, what y'all uh, currently have and different things that are open. Uh, see, if you go to uh, the Montgomery County Sheriff's Office, Texas uh, website, and go to cold case, or you can just type uh, MCSO cold case, and it'll pop up in your Google search. And there's uh, a list, uh, a PDF that's been created of y'all solved cases and your unsolved cases. Uh, at last that I checked, uh, that there were 53 open cases that were listed on there. Uh, again, there may be more that, that haven't been added. I know the one that we're going to talk about today is is not currently on there. There's uh, some updates that, that happen over time. Y'all have also put the ones that y'all have solved, and most of those are done from DNA. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about a uh, missing person. Uh, so it's, it's not just murders that we don't find suspects in that, that lead to cold case. Uh, there's also missing persons. There's... Uh, bones that we find, uh, and those type of things. So in going through uh, the list, because uh, let's face it, it's, it's much easier uh, to solve a crime when you have a body. 
Correct. Right? I mean, Correct. there's we, we have evidence of, of who it is. We have evidence of how things happened, uh, how they were murdered. And uh, so without the body, uh, it creates a lot more difficulties, just like the case that we'll talk about. Um, to cover a couple of cases, uh, and this is just off of, um, off of y'all's website, uh, some of the 90s cases, because what we're going to be dealing with today is, is a missing person um, that the body uh, was not recovered. Um, and when I say body was not recovered, it sort of leaves that open as, okay, well, how do we prove that they're murdered, right? right. And we, we have a lot of cases like that. So going through some, these are just Montgomery County cases. Back in 92, uh, we have uh, Daryl Calhoun and Michael Keith. Uh, they went to a bar in Conroe to sell some weed. Uh, they were uh, never seen again, uh, but their vehicle was found. It was chopped up. It was in uh, uh, the San Jacinto County, uh, but again, um, they have not been found. In 93, uh, Jane Crone, a 34-year-old female from Magnolia, uh, went to a nightclub on November 12th. Uh, husband reported her missing on the 13th, and her car was found in Harris County on the 19th. Again, she was never seen. In December of 94, Dudley Scott out of Splendor, which is a 52-year-old male with uh, Down syndrome, had walked off and um, had many medical issues, but uh, again, uh, was never seen. In December of 97, Michelle Prazak, which is a 12-year-old out of spring, the same area that we're going to be talking about today in our case. Uh, she was 12 years old. Uh, she is still missing. Uh, no body was ever found. And that's where it starts getting, you know, when we talk about 50-year-olds, we talk about 34-year-olds, these type of things. Those are, those are people that certainly could decide if they wanted to start a new life somewhere and they could, they could leave. And uh, it's, again, one of the challenges we're going to talk about. But a 12-year-old, uh, right off the bat, when a 12-year-old goes missing, uh, totally devastating. You, you know something uh, foul play is, is suspected. Um, and same with a, uh, in 97, August of 97, uh, uh, Toby Coleman is an 18-year-old out of New Caney, uh, is another uh, missing person. So those are all cases that are from the 90s that are listed as missing, but obviously there has to be assumption uh, at, by this point that they're, they're dead, right? Right. I mean, uh, we believe that if someone were to go and lead their own life, they would pop up somewhere on the radar, right? Yeah, yes. So, so tell me some of the challenges in, in a missing person case uh, versus us having a, an active dead body lying there homicide case. So the biggest issue is trying to, you don't have a crime. You, right. you can't um, define a crime. And so you can't subpoena records because you don't have a crime in, in the state of Texas. Um, that's, that's just the way it works. So first, to, to clear, um, to clear uh, I guess, a rumor, for lack of a better term, or a, a falsehood that a lot of people believe, they believe that uh, you had to wait 48 hours uh, to call the police for someone missing, uh, to report them missing, okay, uh, which is wrong. That's wrong. Right. No, not right. So um, I don't know where that comes from or where, but so what exactly do we have or what, what are some of the, uh, I shouldn't say obstacles, but what are some things we have to start looking at before we move from this is a grown adult that moved on with their life to, to a foul play being involved? You have to look at all the circumstances involved. Um, and there's some circumstances in this case that a normal person would um, – for example, the cell phone. Everybody has a cell phone now. Sure. And you would right. take your cell phone with you. It's like attached to, to your hip. Um, and, and that was not the case in this case. Um, right. So having a cell phone, uh, not showing up for work uh, when you're a regular employee, you know. Uh, a student going to school. student going to school. Uh, friends that you contact every day. Your parents you contact. There's, there's just a normal pattern of life. But, again, uh, you, you have to overcome that obstacle to get subpoena powers, to get warrant powers, because in a, in a warrant or in a subpoena, we have to name a crime. And, and in these cases, we, we have to basically either name murder or kidnapping. And we have to have probable cause to, to, to get to that point, right? right? And, 
And in doing so, it, that's that's where this hurdle comes. It's the because they didn't show up and and is there enough? Because there's there's nothing in the law that basically says after 48 hours they're missing. Right. You know, there, there's nothing we can turn to that says if this, then we can use all of our legal powers that we have to uh, look at cell phone records, bank records, all the things that we would normally do to try to see if they are still active in some way. Right. Right. So. You know, we've we've touched on it, but I mean, getting getting to your case, um, and I'll let you you tell the story. But uh, uh, basically, the the general summary is uh, on October nineteenth of twenty eleven. Uh, T. J. Murray, Thomas Charles uh, Murray, uh, he was twenty four, went missing after leaving a bar. Um, uh, was uh, currently a Sam Houston State University student uh, and from the local area. So uh, this happened in 2011. Uh, we're in 2020. Uh, no one has heard from TJ. Uh, there is every belief that TJ has been murdered, uh, that there's foul play involved. There's no reason to believe that TJ has moved on with his life somewhere and is living somewhere that uh, his parents are unaware of, his friends are unaware of. So, so Fatty, why don't you tell me a little bit about this case? I know you've done a lot of research on it. So um, it was actually uh, October 18th. He went out uh, drinking with a friend of his, um, and they went to several bars in the spring area off of Sawdust Road in South Montgomery County. Um, They started off at 1. TJ left his dad's truck that he drove that night to the bar, left that at at the time it was on the Rocks Bar. Right. Left it, left his truck there, got in the car with his friend. They went then to the 19th hole bar. Um, and then after there, they went to Rookie's Sports Bar, also on Sawdust Road. Um, while at Rookie's, uh, he got into a confrontation and was then kicked out of the bar. Now this is after midnight, now the 19th. Right. Um, he's seen out in front of the bar, um, assumingly waiting on his friend who's still inside the bar. Um, He's then seen walking south uh, along the sidewalk and then out of camera view at about 12.37 a.m. on the 19th. And that's the last time he's ever seen. So now y'all have video of of the bar. You have video of him leaving um, the bar and... And, you know, some, some questions uh, that we'll talk about in a little bit, because obviously this, um, it's a very concerning case. I mean, we have a, a young person that's, that's gone missing, possibly murdered, and there at 20 you have all sorts of friends, and he had tons of friends that were greatly concerned. So some questions have come up as far as, um, and one was video. Um, so were there other people at On the Rocks? Was it just him and his friend? Um, was there a confrontation there? Was there a reason they left that bar to go to the other other than just bar hopping for the evening? Uh, no, there was no confrontation at On the Rocks. Um, there was a confrontation at uh, the 19th Hole. Okay. Uh, and we do not have video at 19th Hole. Uh, that video was overwritten by the time we went to get it. So there was a confrontation with another couple and didn't... We didn't hear that they got kicked out. They just left just the left bar. on their own to Correct. go to another place. So, you know, and, and when you speak about the delay, you know, one, one of the things that certainly uh, we can address in this, it's, it's sort of out there, is um, one of the reasons, besides just this being a 20-year-old, is his connection to the community, or more importantly, his father's connection to the community, right? Yes. Uh, his father was a, a local... Um, coach uh, for baseball and PE at one of the local schools and very influential in in, uh, the students' lives, uh, very active, uh, just a a loved person by his students, whatever. So obviously when this tragedy happens to his family, so many people want to help, right? And uh, one of the delays in this case is that due to those relationships that had developed, um, he had called a personal friend in law enforcement and relayed that to them. And so they, they sort of had conversations, uh, again, going back to sort of our earlier talk, and that is uh, what is missing, right? I mean, just right. because someone didn't come home that evening, um, 
you know, there, there has to be more. So they started taking time to look in uh, to those avenues to uh, explore, uh, is he truly missing? Did he just go on his own or, or these type of things? And there was a delay before uh, detectives got involved, before different things. So like you said, when, when video had been erased, there was, there was a delay in, in getting there to do those things. And uh, whether it would have made a difference or not seeing him there, that's not where he was last seen, right? right? I mean, uh, he was seen uh, leaving the bar. Um, the confrontation that happened at the bar obviously is the um, the big, uh, I guess, suspects in, in the case that most people will say, okay, well, obviously it's whoever he had a fight with at the bar that they they went and killed him and and they dumped his body. Um, but uh, there's there's reason to believe that there wasn't actual time for that, right? So so tell me. I guess why they didn't leave the bar right after him, right? Correct, correct. Um, TJ's last seen walking away from the bar at 1237. Uh, the group that he had a confrontation with didn't leave the bar until 1 o'clock. And that was actually, uh, I guess, orchestrator on purpose because after this, after this confrontation, TJ was kicked out of the bar. That's right. Okay. Uh, but the security or bouncers that were there had enough snap that they didn't allow the other people to leave. Right away. And basically said, y'all are staying here until he, he goes. So there wasn't like this immediate following out or, or whatever. Um, that group, when they do leave, uh, is there any trace of them again? Yes. Um, they went to actually another bar after they left Rookie's. Um, a little further south on 45, and they're seen on video there not long after. So there's there's not a lot of time from the time they leave one bar uh, before they're entering this other bar that, that would nearly uh, make it extremely hard at, at best uh, to commit a murder, do something with a body, and then casually walk into this bar. We're, we're, talking, we're talking minutes. We're not talking, you know, 45 minutes, 30 minutes, hours, whatever. It's about the same time frame of driving there or, you know, um, there's not much latitude of, of doing all this other stuff. Correct. Um, so uh, one of the other challenges in this case um, was social media. Yes. So uh, we're talking 2011. Uh, Facebook is very popular. And it's very popular at that time with 20-year-olds. They'll tell you 20-year-olds now would never use Facebook, right? It's, it's uh, for old people. Um, <laughs> but back then, it was very popular. Yes. And, and I know I was still uh, attached to the unit back then. There was nothing that the police could do that was not documented on Facebook. And I don't mean having the phones out and whatever. I just mean that... If you did an interview, it was posted on Facebook that you were interviewing so-and-so, you were going here, you were doing that, right? Right. So, so some problems um, that that leads to. Um, so, you know, one of the biggest advantages we have as investigators is our knowledge behind the scenes of things that have happened that the only people that would know are either us or the killer. Right. And some of that was taken away due to all that communication. Um, so, uh, talking about, uh, the phone, cause that's sort of how this comes up. Okay. So, uh, uh you mentioned they didn't have his phone, but what, what are some of the deals involved in his phone and in, in this? So we have him walking South, uh, from rookies. Um, and then his phone is found North of the bar, um, off of Borough Park. And so that, raises the question we, we went to traffic cameras and, and viewed the traffic cameras and um, he's never seen walking across the, the street right so it's assumed that uh, he had to get into a vehicle for his phone to make it on the north side of sawdust um, and we've have recovered the phone and um, now you can't track that person right his, his phone that is trackable is, is not with him anymore. 
So some of the questions that came up in reference to the phone, and, and again, I'm sort of going off of, um, so what I'm, I'm using, uh, some uh, citizens had questions. This is just on a, a forum that was out there on Reddit in reference to this case and such. And so a question came about the phone being found, and, and they refer to it as a ditch. Um, and uh, I, I know personally it, it's more, there's not really ditches there. It's, it's more of a business district. It's more of driveways and streets and things like that. But yes. um, that being said, the question was, is there any sign that there was a disturbance where the phone was found? And, uh, or, you know, basically, is there any indication that he dropped his phone during a fight, or is it more like it was thrown out? Um, it's, it's believed it was thrown out because of the way the phone was found. The phone was found with the back off and the battery off. So, so someone had physically thrown it from a vehicle. Altered the phone prior to, to ditching it. Yes. Right. And, you know, that, that being said with, um, you know, you had mentioned not having the phone. Um, so you said you, that we don't see him crossing the street which means that there has to either be him getting attacked, put in the car uh, on the other side of sawdust, or trusting someone enough to get in a car with them. Um, so uh, speaking of that, and I know a lot's out there, um, he left his truck at On the Rocks. Right. So at On the Rocks, obviously there was a decision, I'm not going to drive, okay? Hopefully it's a logical decision that I'm, I'm drinking. I'm not going to go out there and, and be an idiot and drive drunk. Um, was there any communication between him and others, hey, come pick me up? No. So that, that's another question is basically had he called other people. You know, after I get kicked out of a bar, most people are going to be like, hey, I, I need help, right? right. Um, so we have no communication after he leaves the bar with, with anybody. Right. And so now, in working any homicide, the the biggest questions we always ask is why, right? Why, or more importantly, who would want to kill TJ? Right. Right. So, um, what are some what are some things that we've we've come up with? What are some reasons uh, that that someone would want to hurt him? Uh, other than uh, just the fact that he was in an altercation in a bar, which happens every night, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we um, received information that he was a low-level drug dealer and was supposed to meet up with somebody to buy weed that night. Had a large amount of cash on him. Um, so, I mean, entering entering into the drug part of it, right? I right. mean, um, that's... There's two things uh, that, that homicide really hates to hear, and that's uh, being involved in drugs or in gangs, because both of those really throw throw a wrench in the relationship part of it, right? Someone right. normally has to be close enough to you to, to want to harm you, um, but once you throw drugs in it, as you said, large amount of cash, uh, could have been a robbery from it, could have been someone robbing him for uh, marijuana, and, and I think that's, that's what was found. That's what people talk about, saying he was sort of a, a low-level uh, dealing marijuana, mm-hmm. um, which obviously not that uncommon in, in their 20s, uh, doing some uh, crazy things. But so that's, that's one reason, right? right. Um, do we have any indication uh, of who he was dealing with? No. So uh, we... We know that it's an option, right? We know that um, whenever we involve drugs in it, uh, at that point, you know, we, we speak to the the logical of that night. Like, I may, maybe he had money on him. Maybe he uh, went to go sell. Maybe he was robbed. But that doesn't mean that there wasn't a drug deal that went bad um, a month ago, weeks ago, that there's something that, um, you know, ripped somebody off, did something or whatever. Uh, that's why I say when you enter into the drug part of it, there's so many other things uh, you're you're dealing with my clients that I'm dealing with and and all that. Um, some people uh, questioned as far as Sammy State, and this is just sort of a geographical thing that you can you can sort of clear up. Is um, they question why he would be 
down off of sawdust if he was attending and living in Huntsville? Sure. Um, like you said, his father is a local uh, coach at, at the high school. Uh, they live in the area. He's from that area. Uh, he's meeting friends to go out uh, who live in the area. He's also, prior to going to the bar, um, he was umpiring at the local uh, baseball fields uh, close to Sawdust. So as soon as he got done there, he uh, picked up his dad's truck, met his friend at the bar. So it's all very close. He, he didn't go back home to change or anything like that. And, and Sam Houston State's not that far. I no. mean, it's, it's it's 45 minutes, 50 minutes. It's not close, but right. it's not that far. Uh, there are people that commute yes. that, that actually will drive there to go to college and, and live in the same area in which, which he was at the bar and such. Um, which, I mean, for, for our listeners that, that don't live local, um, it's when you live in Texas, hopping in a car and driving 20 to 30 minutes is not a big deal. That's, no. that's just a normal thing. Uh, so going 45 is is not that big a deal. When in other states and other areas, I mean, driving five or 10 minutes is all the way across town, right? So, um, so just some geographical information there. Um, so what are what are some things that have come in? Some uh, some tips to be addressed, or uh, I guess since the disappearance. Um, I mean, I know that we've had a couple of times that uh, bones have been found. Uh, that obviously uh, uh, were, uh, I hate to use the word hoping, right? right. I mean, uh, that we hope we find the bones. But at this point, I think we can all accept that, uh, you know, TJ was murdered. I don't believe we're going to find him alive somewhere. So I think it's really proper to use that we do hope that we at least find where and and, and whatnot. So, yes. um, you know, what are, what are some things that... Um, uh, we're looking for? What are some things that could help uh, you in your investigation? I mean, obviously somebody knows something. Um, and, you know, this case being so old, probably um, relationships have changed. Um, maybe somebody knows something that they didn't want to say back then because it was their buddy. Now, not so much his buddy. Uh, yeah, people grow apart. People get consciences, uh, what, uh, have kids, have kids. And, you know, they, uh, they have that information. And again, um, we talked about a time frame that there was a delay. And so there was a delay long enough that, uh, the body could have been moved. It, you know, uh, whether it was stored, dropped in that particular area that evening and then moved to a different location. That's all unknown. Those are all speculations. There's, there's no way to know what happened at the point that he leaves the bar, he leaves video, and that phone is dropped. Um, the phone is, is what sparked the investigation um, because obviously uh, a parent of a 24-year-old doesn't, uh, you know, the fact that they didn't come home for the night I mean, is really not that big of an issue. Um, but once you find their phone, uh, that's very unusual. And that leads back to, again, the missing person thing, you know, uh, finding a phone. Uh, if we find a blood-soaked car, you know, somewhere, that, that jumps us up. Now we, can, now we can start using those things, right? Right. But um, so uh, some questions that, you know, have been asked as far as theories that some people throw out. Uh, one, what if he's just walking down the road, was hit by a drunk, and they load him up to get rid of the body? So anything to indicate uh, a car going off the road in that area, anything that would lead us to believe? I mean, not throwing the theory out. Um, there are numerous bars uh, between uh, 45 and that area. Right. Um, but there's nothing that you've seen that would indicate – you know, I would imagine you would have to leave the road. You know, it's not just running over someone walking. And if, even if you did, there'd be something, right? Something, right. I mean. Um, tire tracks, some tire kind tracks, of damage. Blood, you know, something that, um, because obviously the body was not left there. It was not just hit and taken off. So you would have had to move a body. There's going to be some type of blood. There's going to be some type of indication uh, that that occurred. And, and we didn't find any, anything reported about that, uh, finding those things. 
Um, so as far as the disturbance, as far as people that were with him that evening, um, from my understanding, this wasn't like an all-out brawl. No. Um, these were, uh, this was uh, words, either pushing or a slapping or something of that nature that, um, uh, that led to him getting thrown out. The people that he had the altercation with, uh, did he know him? Was he with them? Uh, he was not with them, but they all know each other from the area. Um, and that's kind of what sparked the incident. They knew each other, they conversated, and then the incident happened. It's not like he came up to some unknown random person. So what has their involvement been, I guess, since that night in, in assisting y'all or helping y'all? Have they just been hands-off, like we have nothing to do with it, so we're not, we're not talking? Or has there been any help from them to try to... So they've all been talked to, some of them uh, more helpful than others. Um, whether, you know, some people have want, want their attorney, have an attorney. Uh, some people have given statements uh, with their attorneys. So um, they've all been talked to. Uh, some of them have even submitted to uh, polygraph. So um, they have been helpful, uh, you could say, to a point. Right. But, I mean, the... The answer is if if they truly are involved, um, or I guess I say if they're truly not involved, what information do you have? I was at the bar, yeah, he was there, and I went to another bar. I mean, what else do I have to say? Right. right? Um, I know that um, I know that interaction uh, with them. Um, you know, they're also. Um, Let's face it, the you know, friends that we're hanging out with, uh, uh, they were into many of the same things TJ was, whether they're, they're into uh, drugs and whether it was dealing or just using, but they all had um, sort of that element to them that uh, cooperating with the police, no matter how serious of the crime, was not a thing they were normally going to do anyway. Right, right. right. Um, so, you know, Really, it, it does come down to uh, finding the body or uh, finding someone to step forward. Um, you know, as far as um, the video when he's leaving, um, is there any indication of anybody else being outside when he's leaving, walking that? I mean, is, basically, has anybody else seen following him around that area? No. Uh, he's just sort of on his own. Just on his own walks, and that was it. So, uh, obviously, going to three bars, we can probably assume that he had had a few. Yes. Uh, so um, His dad actually spoke to him um, on the phone before he walks off the screen shortly before then, and his dad had spoken to him again on the phone 30 minutes prior to that, and he sounded okay, and then... Um, 30 minutes later when he spoke to him, he sounded like he was not okay, like he was trashed. Um, and so that leads us to believe that he didn't only have alcohol on board, right? He's got some other kind of drug involved as well. So basically in 30 minutes' time, either he drank a whole lot to change that behavior or he added uh, a pill or some other drug which enhanced that behavior. Yes. So what was he calling his dad for? Uh, checking in. So it wasn't for his dad to come pick him up. Right. I think his dad was calling him to check in. Oh, okay. All right. And so did he, he tell his dad where he was heading? It was it it was it just, hey, you're okay, and that's Right. That that's that's it. Um didn't say where he was going. Um just that he was okay. So did would his family indicate that this was like normal behavior for him? I mean, obviously it's pretty much normal behavior for 20 year olds, but yes. Um, normal behavior for him to go out to the bar. That's, that's not uncommon. Um, even, um, not, not being, not coming home the next day is, is not uncommon. You know, if he's too drunk, he's at home. So what about the friend that he was hanging with all night? I mean, what's, what's his take on all of this? Obviously he spent a lot of time with him. 
uh, during this. So what was the general attitude of the evening, uh, their friendship? What's, what part is he involved in all this? Um, he's just a, a, a good friend of his, um, and they were, they were doing fine the whole night. It's not like they had any disagreements with each other. Um, he was actually in the bathroom at the time of this incident. and So he was not there when, when the actual altercation happened? When he got kicked out, no, he wasn't. So, uh, but he didn't go with them, or, right. or did he? Go with them he, out. Did he step outside with them to talk to them about it or anything? No. So he stayed in the bar the whole time? Correct. Uh, did he start hanging with the other people? Did he leave with them? Or? He did. Uh, he was seen with the other people and um, didn't leave with them right away. Um, he tried calling TJ, texting TJ. Um, so he still tried to communicate afterwards. Correct. And and didn't get any response. Did he end up at the other bar with, with the, the group? You said they left there, they went to another bar. Did he go to that other bar? No, he did not. So... So he wasn't really hanging with them after they left there or anything. No. So, um, see what uh, you know. Other other things as far as is his truck. I mean, there's no indication that someone tried to go and, and take his truck, uh, no. move his truck, um, which which sort of would make you think that if if someone was connected to him, meaning like his friend that wanted to harm him in any way, he would know that truck was there, uh, whether to, you know, people just move evidence and, and do those type of things. So, um, you know, there's, there's many, I, I say, reasons uh, of looking at why, why someone would harm TJ. You know, we have the drug incident, we have the fact he has money, which uh, could be just someone just seeing the money and robbing it has nothing to do with drugs. Um, he's walking down the street, whether he has a confrontation with someone walking down the street uh, that's totally unrelated to any of this, um, whether we have uh, another party that you don't know about uh, that uh, he's interacted with to pick him up or, or, or otherwise. So uh, at this point, and we are now uh, nine years or eight and a half years later, um, I know, again, there have been uh, searches, so sort of covering some of the things that you know people ask about. Uh, they've searched the area. Numerous uh, searches. Numerous searches with uh, EquiSearch, which is our horses and the dogs, and everybody have come out and searched. Um, we've had hurricanes. We've had floods. Uh, this is up uh, near Spring Creek, uh, yes. which has come up and down and, and those type of things. Uh, if if the creek was involved in this disappearance, that could hinder some some uh, finding him and, and finding evidence. Uh, but again, those places were searched extensively, uh, and nothing's been found since then. Uh, it's a very uh, fast developing area. Uh, there have been things that construction equipment that's come in that is excavated area for new builds. Nothing's been found with that. Right. Um, so at, at this point, it's, it's nearly believed that his body was not in that area. Right. I mean, that, that it had to be taken somewhere. Um, and whether that's local, whether, I mean, uh, obviously, we don't know the condition that he is in when he loses his phone, for lack of a better term. Whether it's in a a trusting nature with someone that he's perfectly fine and someone just grabs his phone and, and throws it, uh, whether he is hurt at that point, whether he's already dead at that point, uh, which really plays a big factor as far as how far he could go, take someone or whatever. Um, we have belief that he was taken in a car, and this is um, about what time in the evening do we have him crossing the road? We don't have him crossing the road. Or not cross when he leaves the bar at twelve thirty seven AM on the nineteenth, October nineteenth. So even though there's a lot of bars, it's more of a business district of businesses that close at nine and ten o'clock. Correct. Right, so there's not a lot of activity out there. There's some apartments that are further down the road. Yes. Um, and some of those are, are lower income apartments where some people do walk to and from the store. 
but it's very rare that they'd be doing that at, at one in the morning. Right. So uh, very few, I guess, opportunities for just a random witness uh, to come forward. Uh, it, it seems like a majority of, of what you're looking for is someone that uh, was either involved in this or talking about it. And I know that that's uh, another difficulty that we had. We talked about the social media and all the information that would come out on that, that we had a lot of, I won't call them false confessions. They weren't confessions at all, but it was, uh, hey, I know what happened to TJ. Oh, what happened to TJ? Oh, well, he was at a bar. He got in this fight. He did this. And what they're telling is the story they've heard because it's been on Facebook. It's been everywhere. you know. And so-and-so said that, that this person killed him. Okay, well, who said that? Well, you know, uh, Susie heard it from Mike, who heard it from Lisa, who was at this party, right? So, I mean, we're like four or five people down, and and when you go and search those rabbit holes, again, it would just be the story that they heard. There was so much information out there, and again, it takes away that, that one element that we normally are looking for, and that is, tell me something the public doesn't know. Right. Tell me something that we haven't released, because so much had been released on this, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, you know, I think that's uh, another... I say problem, it's a balance between releasing the information that we have uh, to try to get a lead on it versus holding some things uh, close to the chest to at least be able to validate when someone does come forward, yes. right? And so, you know, in, in speaking of, of TJ, and I know, um, you know, again, uh, sad for the family as far as the uh, uh, community and the connection with him, and I know that... Uh, um, what was it seven or nine months later? Uh, his brother had also passed away, had, had drowned on a, uh, I think it was a tubing uh, deal. So the family has just had impact after impact, uh, yeah. uh, losing their sons and stuff. And and certainly we want uh, closure for them. We want to uh, get uh, the family justice, TJ justice. Um, but it's a very hard case. Uh, it is. Um, there's uh, there's someone out there that certainly knows. There's someone out there that uh, certainly. Um, can help uh, whatever I guess their their reason for not coming forward uh, nine years ago hopefully is is different now uh, hopefully there's something and uh, there are ways uh, to reach cold case um, you can call uh, the number as far as the sheriff's department uh, 936-760-5800 um, and get in touch with detective risk or just ask for a detective. It doesn't even have to be him. Tell him you have information, and uh, you can remain anonymous by going to Crime Stoppers, uh, Montgomery County Crime Stoppers, and uh, leave a tip there. And by doing so, you'll you'll even pay you. They will give you money. There is currently a twenty thousand dollar reward. Uh, I think the family had put up uh, for information on TJ's murder. So. Uh, they are willing to, I'm not sure how, who you're protecting or, or what information you have that's available, but there are $20,000 um, that can buy you a nice vacation or whatever you're looking for uh, to actually solve this crime, and, and we would look forward to doing that. You know, speaking of uh, just uh, some of the techniques and things to sort of, um, you know, is there anything else you want to add on the TJ case? Also, real quick, yeah. um, we have uh, our emails are un, under the cold case section of our website. If uh, yeah, email is, is rather um, what you want to do, and it's my email is um, fadi.rizk at mctx.org. And we'll put, uh, I'll put those up on uh, Facebook and on uh, Crime Scene Today. So, uh, we'll put a link to uh, the cold case file. We'll put a link to uh, their emails if uh, you want to add anything, uh, if you have any tips and stuff. So just speaking in general, uh, as far as um, cold case and some technology changes and things like that, I saw on uh, the website that y'all had used um, uh, Parabon, the face thing, where Parabon actually takes the genetic DNA and sort of does it. So uh, snapshot snapshot that's it so um, so tell me a little bit about that what uh, how they've come along with that and what that's sort of used for so the DNA snapshot is for their characteristics of what that person would have looked like you know if they had freckles or the color of their hair um, it's it's more of a generic description sort of build a, a 
3D model. I mean, I know that like in looking at um, looking at y'all site, y'all have uh, currently, at least what I found, there may be more, uh, found uh, five skulls. Uh, yes. Again, back to what y'all do. It's not just about the homicides. You got uh, remains that are found. You have the missing persons. And so we have, uh, like I said, five skulls that don't know who they are. Right. Uh, and not knowing who someone is is one of the first things you have to do in, in homicide. Who are we dealing with to find out all the links of who they're connected to and whatnot? So, um, so yeah, so using genetics, now they're able to tell, um, I guess, build, uh, skin color, ethnicity, mm -hmm. uh, different things. So um, I know that I think that's the only one that I've seen doing it so far. Yes. Is, is the snapshot. Parabon. So uh, they've, they at least are able to do sort of like what a forensic artist does. I mean, I, I, it's sort of a stretch. I mean, a forensic artist has someone describing someone they've seen. Sure. Right. And in this case, we've never seen them. We don't know who they are. Right. Uh, but uh, just the same as they used to build the clay and try to see what the person would look like, uh, this is using it genetically, uh, which uh, I think is fascinating. I, I think that, but it still comes down to, uh, someone's got to recognize them, Correct. right? I mean, we, we have a picture, but uh, we still have to have them recognized. Right. And uh, all, so the DNA for missing persons is still going through uh, North Texas. Yes, So University North, of North Texas. University of North Texas handles the missing persons DNA uh, and keeps a database. The problem with that, uh, with DNA in general, is it, it has to be on file somewhere, right? I right. mean, to compare it to to compare it to someone to bring up to say this this was so and so, uh, there has to be DNA. Um, you know, you and I would be fine because any homicide detective we have to have our, our DNA put on file to to rule out, right? Right. But as far as an average citizen, most average citizens that commit no crimes or commit misdemeanor crimes. Um, their DNA is not on file. So when they show up missing, just because we're able to get DNA, uh, it, it doesn't always link to that person. And that's one of the uh, hurdles, again, that we're coming over. Um, there's been changes in the laws most recently. Uh, we've talked about that on the show. I know that the uh, last legislature in Texas allowed for uh, when we're booking in people on uh, even more crimes. It used to only be like two, but when we're booking people in now, uh, we take their DNA and... and it's really where it's at right now because they still haven't developed the database and sort of what we're doing with it. But at least legally, we're able to take it now. And um, that at least leans it to a database of someone who's gone to jail. Right. There's still a large portion of the population that's never gone to jail, right. thankfully. And uh, that that leads to the problem of, of trying to find uh, these people. And that leads us into very new technology, the genetic genetic genealogy. Right. And that's something that we're also exploring with these cold cases. So explain briefly sort of sort of that part of it. I know there's familiar DNA, which is the connection, but now they're looking at the, the gene genealogy part of it. Yes. And that's, um, let's say we have a, an unknown suspect DNA, and we can take that DNA and um, have a genetic genealogist track the genealogy, uh, their family tree, and be able to point us to the, the person that this DNA belongs to based on um, these uh, DNA websites, Ancestry.com, uh, 23andMe, um, GEDmatch, Family Tree. Right, and so it, it goes back to sort of the original original statement is that it's got to be somewhere, right? right? And so, but a lot of people have voluntarily given their DNA uh, for the genetics of finding out where I came from, who I'm related to, right. uh, and those type of things. In doing so, and there was a court case, and obviously the, the big court case was in California. They caught a killer off of this. The Golden it was State a, Killer. Right, the Golden State Killer where it was related, which then brought up privacy issues of uh, opting in, opting out for allowing law enforcement to have access to this database. Right. Um, so many of them have shut down allowing access. And when I say shut down, I mean that before you had to tell them, I don't want the police to have access and now you have to agree to allow them to have access, and, and some people still do, uh, but I know that it was a database of millions that dropped to thousands uh, in one week. So um, it's slowly building up. It, it does at least give us an area, uh, which sometimes is beneficial, 
that this family member, this person was from Louisiana, southern Louisiana, um, those type of things. So, uh, again, it, it is. I think that's one of the latest technologies that's, that's really going to show some advancement. Again, it sort of goes back to that database and something that we always fight as, uh, as police under the, the privacy issues on whether people allow us to have that information. Uh, I certainly have heard both arguments. Uh, I know the arguments of, of you know, the, the rights of you not having your stuff in the database. And, you know, we've, we've talked about the possibility of abuse of uh, that. And I guess that does exist. I just see it. Uh, and again, obviously, I'm coming from a law enforcement side of more of a, a benefit uh, to you and your family if anything ever happens that, that we have that information. And um, again, when all we find is a skull, uh, it doesn't matter if you have DNA at your house, if you have swabs of your own, if you have this. If, if there's nothing, uh, even if it's on 23andMe uh, or some a gene database that at least we can link that and find that person, then then possibly these other uh, seven or eight cases I talked about from the 90s, um, you know, their skull may be sitting in another county and uh, trying to get those together uh, as far as their DNA. And many of the times we have a missing person, we're able to get things off their toothbrush, off their hairbrush, off of different things. But again, we weren't really thinking about a lot of those things in the 90s. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of advancements. I see, um, I see that being a, a great tool. Uh, I, I know that they were working on it years ago because when we were doing CODIS, which was junk DNA, um, and what I mean by that is it was, it was meant to be that way. It wasn't supposed to identify someone who was white, black, Hispanic, uh, anything about them. It was, it was uh, certain loci on the genes that would just identify this person was a match to this other DNA. Uh, they've been able to do it for years. They were testing, uh, testing it at the Emmy's office in New York uh, when I was up there, and that was close to about uh, 15 years ago that they were determining, hey, this shows the color of their eye. This shows uh, their skin color and these type of things. So it's been around. It's just taken this long to sort of be accepted, uh, which is great. It means they've tested it for that amount of time to, to come to that conclusion. So, um, Faye, you know, we appreciate uh, you coming out and, and talking to us and bringing this case. I know you have many other cases, and as you dig into those and you have information, anytime you want to uh, put something on the show and get that out there and share with people because we know that a uh, majority of our crimes are solved uh, by our citizens, by people coming forward and helping the police, working with the police. They're such a great asset that we have out there uh, to assist us. And we hope uh, someone listening uh, hopefully has some information on TJ. Hopefully that'll come forward and uh, bring some closure uh, for the family and, and get this case solved. Uh, you know, if uh, anyone uh, wants a topic on the show, if anyone like to uh, uh, be on the show, have something that they'd like to talk about, law enforcement related, any questions that they have, uh, and certainly if they want to sponsor a show, they can reach me at dan at crimescenetoday.com. I always like to thank uh, our Lone Star Radio for hosting, our producer, Dick. Uh, we created the show about a year ago, and if you look to want to create a show, just contact ourlonestar.com, and uh, they'll work that out with you. So we thank you for tuning in, and we look forward to you tuning in next week. Thank you.